Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. May 17, 2001. It was supposed to be a fun day for the Turney family. It was the last day of school for 17-year-old Alyssa. Her younger sister, Sarah, was celebrating the end of school at a water park. The first sign that something was wrong came when Sarah's father, Michael Turney, failed to show up on time to pick Sarah up at school after her field trip ended. She waited around a while and then walked to a friend's house. When Michael finally arrived to pick up Sarah... He told her that Alyssa was missing. Michael Turney was an electrician, but he had also worked as a police officer back in the day. He was not Alyssa's biological dad. He'd married her mother when Alyssa was a little girl and then legally adopted her around the time her mother died. He treated Alyssa differently than he treated his own kids. He was stricter with her, and he kept track of where she was and who she was with all the time. Michael was the last person to see Alyssa that day. He picked her up from school early, around lunchtime. Alyssa told her boyfriend that she'd see him at an end-of-the-year party that night before she left with Michael. Michael said that when he and Alyssa got home, Alyssa had argued about the rules of the house and then stormed off to her room, and so he left to run errands. He said he returned later to find the house empty. When Sarah got home, she checked her sister's room, It was usually very clean, but that day it was a mess. And when they called her cell phone, they heard it vibrating. Alyssa had left it behind. Beside the phone was a note in Alyssa's handwriting that said, Dad and Sarah, when you dropped me off at school today, I decided I really am going to California. Sarah, you said you really wanted me gone. Now you have it. Dad, I took $300 from you. That's why I saved my money. Alyssa running away to California wasn't such an odd thing to imagine. She and Michael did not get along, and they had an aunt who lived in California. But Alyssa never arrived at the aunt's place. Michael called the police and reported Alyssa missing. He went house to house asking if anyone had seen her. About a week later, Michael said he received a call from Alyssa saying to leave her alone, but nobody else got a call, and the police were never able to confirm his account. 
At first, Alyssa's disappearance looked like a young woman who wanted to run away and start a new life. But as time marched on and nobody else heard from Alyssa, it started to look like something more sinister. First of all, Alyssa had left $1,800 in a bank account which she didn't take with her and never tried to access after her disappearance. And as Sarah grew up, her father started acting strangely toward her, too. He set up cameras around the house. He recorded her phone conversations. Then, in 2006, a con man named Thomas Heimer, who was spending life in prison for the violent murder of a woman in Florida, confessed to killing Alyssa Turney. Detectives met with him and quickly determined he was full of shit, but it caused them to take a closer look at Alyssa's disappearance with fresh eyes, and they began to seriously suspect Alyssa had never left at all. When they re-interviewed Alyssa's boyfriend and classmates, they discovered there had been allegations that Michael had sexually abused her. In December 2008, they got enough circumstantial evidence to get a warrant to search Michael's home. Inside, according to Dateline NBC, police found several alarming videotapes dating back to the 80s. Michael had set up surveillance cameras around the house and kept meticulous record of Alyssa. However, the footage from the day she disappeared was missing. Detectives also discovered 19 assault rifles, two handmade silencers, a van filled with gasoline cans, and a couple dozen pipe bombs filled with roofing nails. And there was a 98-page manifesto that Michael had written titled Diary of a Madman Martyr, which described an outrageous theory about members of the electrical union who'd kidnapped and murdered Alyssa. The document outlined Michael's plan to blow up their union hall in retaliation. The homemade bombs got Michael 10 years in federal prison. He was released in 2017, and by that time, he was the sole person of interest in Alyssa's disappearance and presumed murder. When he got out, Sarah reached out to her father and invited him to Starbucks. When she asked him what really happened to Alyssa, Michael told her, Be at the deathbed, Sarah and I'll give you all the honest answers you want to hear. He said he would confess if he could be executed within 10 days. Sarah took her suspicions to social media and found great success posting clips from these old creepy videos on TikTok. In one video, Alyssa is heard calling Michael a pervert. The prosecutor was reluctant at first to press charges. Nobody homicides are the most difficult cases to bring to trial. The absence of a body comes with inherent doubt, and it's up to a jury to determine the definition of how much doubt is reasonable. No-body cases can be successful when, for instance, a lot of the victim's blood is found, or where there are multiple threats of murder beforehand. With Michael, they had none of that. But Sarah didn't give up. She amassed hundreds of thousands of followers on TikTok. Dateline did a special. She was relentless in the pursuit of her own father, and that was quite an emotional hook. Finally, on August 21st, 2020, Michael was arrested and charged with second-degree murder for Alyssa's death. He goes to trial soon, and unless he surprises everyone and pleads guilty, it'll be up to 12 jurors to decide if their belief outweighs their doubt. So let's learn a little bit about doubt versus belief. In a world where we can never really know the truth about anything, when can we confidently send a man to prison when there's no direct evidence of the crime? 
This is the philosophy of crime, and I'm your host, James Renner. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. One of the first no-body homicide cases tried in the United States occurred in Illinois in 1841. A man named Archibald Fisher accompanied his friend, William Trailer on a trip into Springfield to visit Trailer's brothers. But Fisher never returned home. When questioned by police, the Trailer brothers said they'd all decided to go for a walk after lunch, and at some point they just lost sight of Fisher. They said they didn't know what happened to him or where he was. Rumor around town was that Fisher had come into a large sum of money and William had murdered him for it, and then his brothers had helped him hide the corpse. It wasn't long before police arrested the Trailer brothers and got some ropes ready for a good hanging. The police searched everywhere for Fisher's body. They looked in cellars and wells. They dug up fresh graves to make sure he hadn't been hidden on top of another body. But no sign of Fisher was found. After days of interrogation, Henry Trailer confessed. He said William and their other brother had beaten Fisher to death and taken his money, and then he'd helped them hide the body in the woods. When police went to check out the scene, they found signs that something large had been dragged through the tall grass. The trial began on June 18th, but by then it seemed like a formality. Everybody in town knew the Trailer brothers were guilty as sin. The only one on the Trailer Brothers' side was a young, funny-looking defense attorney. He called Dr. Robert Gilmore to the stand. Dr. Gilmore told the courtroom that he'd known Mr. Fisher well, both as a patient and friend, and he'd lived with him for a time. 
He explained that some time ago, Fisher had suffered a head injury during a gun mishap. He'd recovered physically, but his mind was never the same. He had blackouts, spells of amnesia, and sometimes he just wandered off for a while. And then Dr. Gilmore dropped the mic. Fisher was alive and well. Back in his room at his house, he said. He was recovering from an illness and had no memory of going to Springfield at all. Once the doctor's story was verified by the court, the Trailer Brothers went free. The young defense attorney eventually wrote about that trial and the reactions of the people in the courtroom that day. It was amusing to scan and contemplate the countenances and hear the remarks of those who had been actively engaged in the search for the dead body, he wrote. Some looked quizzical, some melancholy, and some furiously angry. I've always wanted to say this. Okay, here it goes. The name of that young defense attorney from Springfield, Illinois? Abraham Lincoln. True story. Look it up. The leading expert on no-body homicides today is a man named Tad DiBiase. He literally wrote the book on the subject, which you can buy on Amazon. He obviously knows what he's talking about. DiBiase was an assistant U.S. attorney in D.C. for 12 years, and in 2006, he prosecuted the second no-body homicide in D.C. history. His work on that case led to a lifelong fascination, and he keeps track of all the no-body homicides on his website, nobodycases.com. It gives him an insight into how rare no-body homicide trials actually are. As of November 2020, there had been 542 no-body homicides brought to trial, ever. For comparison, there were 76,538 federal criminal cases in 2019 alone. That means no-body homicide trials make up a fraction of 1% of the cases brought to court in this country. Of those cases, 71 resulted in dismissals, mistrials, and acquittals. Which means, if a case makes it that far, it has a conviction rate of around 86%. Until the 20th century, many states in the Union followed the rule of corpus delecti, or concrete evidence of a crime. In homicides, that usually meant a literal body, but in general, corpus delicti means something closer to the full body of the crime itself, meaning an understanding of what exactly occurred, which is often missing in no-body cases. Texas law was simply no body, no conviction, until 1974. But with the advent of trace evidence and DNA, circumstantial cases became easier to prove beyond a reasonable doubt, and the states changed the laws to allow for these trials. To bring a no-body homicide to trial, a prosecutor usually needs to present very compelling circumstantial evidence that a murder, in fact, occurred. For instance, physical evidence such as bone fragments or blood or a confession. In the case of Alyssa Turney, it seems prosecutors do not have physical evidence, but it could be argued that they have a kind of confession when Michael Turney hinted to his daughter, Sarah, that he had things to tell her on his deathbed about Alyssa and then he considered a deal to confess to police. That may have been the motivating factor in charging him with the crime. Still, it's entirely circumstantial, and certain states have further hurdles for such cases. In New York, if an attorney presents an entirely circumstantial case, the jury must follow what's called the moral certainty standard when determining guilt. 
under the moral certainty standard, the jury must also find that the state's case excludes all other explanations to a moral certainty. All of these barriers are in place to protect innocent men from going to prison for a crime that never even occurred. There's a lot on the line for prosecutors when they bring no-body homicides to trial. All we need is for someone like Archibald Fisher to come wandering back to town after we've already put a man to death for his murder. And suddenly, that's the end of all these circumstantial cases. These are cases we can't afford to be wrong about if we want to continue. And there's a real need for no-body homicide cases. After all, if a murderer understands that all he needs to do to avoid trial is to throw a body into molten metal or just fucking hide it really well, how do you ever have justice for those victims? But where do we draw the line between doubt and certainty in this absurd world? I've talked about epistemology on this podcast already. That's the branch of philosophy that investigates knowledge and what can be known. Remember, it was Rene Descartes who said, cogito ergo sum. I think, therefore, I'm awesome. His point being, we can never know anything for certain other than the fact that we exist. And there's an offshoot of epistemology that relates to the topic at hand, and that's skepticism. Strict skepticism denies that any sort of knowledge is possible because we simply cannot know for certain, well, anything. And since we can never know anything for certain, we should suspend personal judgment, always. It's hard for us humans to go through life like that unless we're Buddhist monks. We're hardwired to judge, to believe we know the answer to something, to draw conclusions that may or may not be true. Also, true skeptics invariably run into a paradox— if it's true that real knowledge is not possible, isn't that statement a piece of knowledge in itself? For more on that kind of recursive thought, check out anything by Douglas Hofstadter. The patron saint of skepticism is this ancient Greek philosopher Pyrrho, who lived sometime around 360 BC. He is believed to have been a member of a mysterious cult who would listen to the rustling of oak leaves outside the Temple of Zeus and interpret the music as prophecy and instruction. It was all pretty trippy stuff. Pyrrho traveled with Alexander the Great on adventures to the east that brought him into contact with Buddhist monks and their meditative practices and circular beliefs. When he returned, he started preaching about this idea he had, that we should all strive to achieve a state of mental calm, which he called ataraxia. Reality, he said, is indeterminate, unstable, and nothing can ever be known for sure, so we should stop trying to pretend we know anything. Just go with the flow, man. If we accept that nothing is certain, then this relieves us of the burden of questioning, which is really rather uncomfortable anyway. The goal of skepticism, he believed, was to find tranquility in the not knowing. It appears that Pyrrho did in fact find tranquility himself by refusing to trust the inherent facts of reality. As the story goes, he found himself on a ship in the sea during a great storm, and he sat calmly as the waters rolled over, drowning him. I can't tell you for a fact he's dead, of course, because I wasn't there. Pyrrho's teachings created its own school of thought called Pyrrhonism, 
His students eventually listed 10 reasons why we should suspend judgment on the so-called facts of reality. Stuff like, how can we assume a thing is the same for me as it is to you if perspective can alter reality? If you put a straw in a glass of water, from a certain angle it appears to be broken. Animals and insects see the world differently from us. Why should we assume that what we see is truer than what they see? A grain of sand is rough, but in great numbers, they become a smooth beach. So is sand smooth or rough? Pyrrha's philosophical puzzles are fun to think about, but not at all practical. We have to assume some truths, some facts in this world in order not to go crazy, right? Also, if you fall down the rabbit hole of Pyrrhanism, it may lead you beyond healthy skepticism and into the realm of denialism where one denies truth simply because it's uncomfortable. Denialism gets you parents who don't vax their kids because they're afraid they'll get autism, and old men who don't wear masks because COVID is a myth. We lost hundreds of thousands of denialists in this pandemic. Besides, science tells us that we don't have to have direct proof of something to know it's true. A couple hundred years ago, early astronomers noticed something unseen and massive was tugging at Saturn. All the evidence of a new planet was circumstantial, like in a no-body homicide. But everything pointed to the fact that it was real. And that's how we discovered, um, Uranus. By the time this episode is released, the trial of Michael Turney may have already begun, more than 20 years after Alyssa's disappearance. It'll be a tough case to prosecute, given no physical evidence. But they do have one powerful weapon in their arsenal— Alyssa's sister, Sarah, who has devoted her life to putting her father behind bars. If I was on that jury, Sarah's testimony would probably be enough for me. Because at the end of the day, this case is a private family affair. And if the evidence is good enough for Michael's own daughter, who am I to deny her such a reward? As Pyrrha once said, what the hell do I know anyway? It's what we believe that matters in the end. The Philosophy of Crime is a Fearful Symmetry production. This episode was recorded by Jeff Koval at the State Level Recording Studio in Fairlawn, Ohio. It was produced and edited by William Mankey. I'm James Renner. If you enjoyed this episode, please check out my new weekly podcast, True Crime This Week. William Mankey also writes the music for this podcast. Look for his other creations, including Genius Dice, wooden dice that will give an artful twist to your gaming night, and his new Dueling Pints drinking game. It's rock, paper, scissors on a pint glass. Both are available on Amazon. Until next time, remember, there's a simple but challenging solution to the epidemic of crime. If everybody took the time to make good friends with their neighbors, we would know when someone needs our help before they become a statistic. Don't be fearful of the world. Make friends and make it better. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.